0: Welcome to the Healthy Podcast, presented by Melrose Wakefield Hospital. My name is Rob Branya, and I am pleased to welcome today's guests, Dr. Aaron Fisher, who is the Chief of Emergency Medicine at Melrose Wakefield Hospital, and Dr. Lisa Scott, neurologist and Director of Stroke at Melrose Wakefield Hospital. Thank you both for being here, and welcome to the Healthy Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for inviting us.
0: According to the CDC. Every 40 seconds, someone in the U.S. has a stroke, and every three and a half minutes, someone dies of a stroke. In total numbers, that's about 795,000 people having strokes, and 137,000 of those being fatal. Today, we're here to talk about strokes. What are they? Why do they happen? Who is most susceptible to having one? And what should we know about identifying, preventing, and treating strokes? Dr. Scott, let's start with defining stroke. Sure. Um, Can you just sort of tell us what's happening when somebody has a stroke?
2: Sure, yeah. So uh, generally, there are two different types of strokes that we think about uh, in our patients. So the first one is called an ischemic stroke, which is uh, basically some sort of blood clot coming from um, vessels in the neck or in the head. Uh, or from somewhere further away, for example, like the heart. Uh, And those clots travel up to the brain, and they occlude um, a a vessel in the brain and uh, cause a lack of oxygenation uh, to flow to uh, parts of the brain that are vital for certain functions like speech, um, uh, like motor symptoms, like weakness, etc. The other type of stroke is the bleeding type of stroke called a hemorrhagic stroke, uh, which can ha- also happen for for a number of different reasons. Uh, the ischemic strokes, however, are the most common. I think it's now about eighty seven percent of of uh, strokes are ischemic in origin.
0: So, what's ha- you talked a little bit about what's happening internally
2: mm-hmm.
0: while a stroke is going on. What's happening externally?
2: Yeah. And, and either of you? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so um, Dr. Fisher is kind of the the frontline uh, person that sees these folks when they come in through the through the ED, uh, and then the neurologists are subsequently notified by her and members of her team. Uh, and typically, the things that we we see are uh, so I, I named a few of them before, but things like weakness, uh, so weakness on one side, weakness on both sides, um, issues with balance, uh, facial droop, uh, things like. Difficulty speaking, uh, saying the wrong words when, you know, you ask how are you and you get uh, an answer that just doesn't make sense, that sort of thing. Um, uh, so, yeah, all of those are are typical stroke symptoms that we see, but that's not an exhaustive list. There are uh, pre- strokes can present in, in numerous different ways. So uh, there are a lot of stroke syndromes that are less common, but those are kind of the most common presentations. Okay.
0: And... Can we can we help our listeners a little bit in sort of identifying, you know, what's going on? Um, with a lot of other things like heart attacks, for example, people just don't feel good and sometimes they can't necessarily, you know, put a finger on it. But with stroke, these, these sound like pretty much things that you can identify.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, can we talk a little bit about how people can identify those things?
1: Sure. Uh, well, we actually have education materials that we pass out to our patients in the hospital and we use the mnemonic be fast which stands for balance eyes face arms speech and time so we look for uh, changes in balance changes in um, the pupils um, changes in facial symmetry um, arm weakness, speech changes, and then it's time to call 911 and come to the hospital if you see any of these symptoms as soon as possible. Time is really of the essence here. Okay,
0: so the, the T and be fast at the end is time, and we often hear things like time is brain and, and things like that. Can you explain sort of the importance of time?
1: Right, so um, it's as, soon as possible after a patient starts having stroke symptoms, um, it's important to seek treatment because some treatments are very um, time-specific. For example, um, if, we're, if we want to give a patient a medication called TPA, which is the clot-busting medication, we have um, four and a half hours from the time of onset of symptoms to get that medication going into the patient. So it's really important that these patients come to the ER as soon as possible after they start having symptoms.
2: Okay. Yeah, I think, sorry to interrupt you, Rob, I think one other thing too is that um, uh, patients should, you know, when you're at home and you're wondering, you know, oh, I have this new symptom, it's been four hours, the hospital's 35 minutes away, you should not be kind of confining yourself to that, to that time limit. So it's really important that uh, if at the onset of symptoms, even if you're questioning, you know, maybe your symptoms are coming and going, which can happen in stroke. Uh, even if you if you're not sure if it if this is a, a stroke at all, uh, you should definitely come into the hospital regardless of the time. Uh, so the the time is of the essence in terms of acute treatment, but that doesn't mean that um, you should stay at home with your symptoms. Uh, you should be coming into the hospital always uh, and as fast as you can, like Dr. Fisher was saying.
1: Right. So there are a lot of other interventions we can do these days. Um, We used to be kind of out of luck if we had patients present um, after a certain period of time. But now we have um, surgical interventions we can do to help these patients when they present, you know, up to a day later.
2: Yeah, and all of the... um All of the acute treatments that we do are also not confined to medications or to um, surgical interventions. There are also things that we do, like um, changing people's blood pressure around, giving them hydration, um, uh, treating any underlying infections, all of those sorts of things which help with health outcomes in patients who've had stroke. Uh, The other thing just to mention is that uh, there's a lot of research now for uh, giving people that clock busting medication up to 24 hours after stroke symptoms. So, uh, that is kind of ongoing at different comprehensive stroke centers. Uh, uh, there's one in Boston that is currently doing it uh, that we're affiliated with. So, you know, coming into the hospital again uh, as quick as possible is super important, but then Um, also making sure that even if you're past the time window, you're coming in because there are other things that we can augment to, to help with patients' outcomes.
0: So you mentioned some other underlying things going on with people and you mentioned things like blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, so that leads us to who's most susceptible to having a stroke. You know, are there certain people, are there certain conditions, um, where people should really start to keep an eye out?
2: Yeah. Yeah, so you know a lot of a lot of folks I think think about stroke as a as a thing that happens to elderly people. Uh, which is just simply not not the case. So we're starting to learn that uh, we know that stroke affects uh, all different ages of people. It is more common in the elderly population, and that's because of the risk factors that come along with uh, age and in conjunction with uh, having stroke. So for example, as you get older, you're more likely to have things like high blood pressure, diabetes. Those are both um, a few of Uh, the risk factors for stroke. But we're also learning that younger patients are also uh, at risk of having stroke. So this is not limited to elderly patients. Um, Oftentimes, unfortunately, younger people are less likely to come into the hospital frequently because they think of stroke as kind of an older person's um, problem and not theirs. So uh, I would encourage all all of the younger people too, if you have any kind of acute onset of of these symptoms that Dr. Fish and I were talking about, that you come into the hospital for evaluation because again, it's not limited to your grandfather or your uh, uh, grandmother. It's a a disease that affects us all and can affect us all, even children.
0: And so beyond knowing your risks, What are some of the other things that people can do uh, to keep themselves um, away from a stroke uh, to help prevent is it mostly healthy lifestyle
1: a lot of it's healthy lifestyle don't smoke or try to quit smoking Um, follow a healthy diet and exercise and make sure you know you're taking your medications for your blood pressure and following up with your doctor to make sure you're doing everything you can to stay healthy yeah,
2: especially even um, younger patients, you know, uh, tend to not go into the doctor as often as older patients because, you know, you, you don't have any medical problems and those are the patients that come in um, and then we discover that they have medical problems after they've had uh, something like a stroke. So, you know, making sure that you're going to your primary care doctor uh, once a year, even if you think that you are perfectly healthy. Um, there are all sorts of labs and there's reasons for why we monitor labs and do blood work, um, uh, in patients who are younger to look for things like high cholesterol and diabetes, which, again, are, are risk factors for developing stroke.
0: Um, so when it comes to education, are we doing enough uh, as a society, as, as, you know, the medical organizations, um, what more can we be doing? I mean, you, you two are both taking a great step here uh, in getting this information out, but what else can we do with?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think I think there's a lot of work to do, um, you know. As as people uh, see their loved ones affected by stroke, so they kind of learn what risk factors are for stroke. I think we, as a as a society, though, do a pretty poor job of of preparing people for um, their risk of stroke. And again, you know, monitoring your um, uh, your lifestyle, going to your doctor are super important um, uh, things to do from even when you're a younger age, but we don't do enough of kind of encouraging people to, you know, your cholesterol is a little bit high, uh, let's talk about your nutrition and your diet and send you to a nutritionist, for example. Uh, I think that a lot of the onus is on patients and uh, that's great to a certain extent, but we as providers also need to encourage people to, to seek appropriate avenues to kind of treat, treat preventable things uh, so that we make sure that they don't come in with strokes.
0: Um, So Melrose Wakefield Hospital, where both of you work, is well known as as a community stroke center, Um, but sometimes there are things where you have to get the next level of care. You had mentioned earlier uh, that we have a connection downtown with one of the academic medical centers. Can you talk a little bit about our connection through Tufts Medicine and and how that all works? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, So... uh, uh, I I actually am the first neurologist at uh, Melrose Wakefield to kind of be be hired uh, full time. So that is a um, a program that is now developing. There's a second neurologist who's coming on board. Her name is Dr. Nelson. Uh, she is uh, going. She's neurocritical care trained, so uh, she has expertise in really sick neurological patients. So um, uh, as we build up the program at Melrose Wakefield, we also are. Are becoming more and more connected and intertwined with Tufts Medicine. So, um, the you know there's difficulty finding neurologists. You often can't get an appointment for months. Uh, I think that it's uh, one of the benefits of being working with the the stroke center downtown is that. Uh, we can refer people from Melrose if you're complicated, if you have a unique case, uh, a unique presentation. If you need um, other interventions, say you, the neurologist and cardiologist need to work on on a specific intervention uh, for you specifically as a patient, uh, we can accommodate that. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that we do in the community. Um, but there's also a lot of things that, that we will send people downtown for, and and if you require more expertise, then that's more readily available than it was a year ago at this point.
1: It's been really great to have Dr. Scott at Melrose. Um, before, you know, we, we didn't have a neurologist in person all the time, and so we would either do phone consults or video consults for our stroke patients. And, you know, it's great to have a neurologist come right to the ED and facilitate Treatment and a transfer, if needed, to Tufts Medical Center. So it's been really great to have her at Melrose. Thanks.
0: Uh, so Dr. Fisher, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about sort of what's happening at the ED behind the scenes. There's so many medical TV shows now that, that show a lot of that stuff, but as you know that a patient um, may be coming in, you hear from the EMTs or, or whatever, What's going on behind the
1: scenes? Sure. So, you know, not always, but usually stroke patients come in by EMS and we'll get a radio call from EMS before the patient arrives. And it's just a brief call to say that they're coming in with a patient with stroke symptoms and we're able to call a code stroke overhead in the ER um, to kind of mobilize all of our resources when the patient comes in. Um, The patient will come in, be registered very quickly, and then go straight to CAT scan. Um, Like we said, time is of the essence with the stroke patient, so we want everything to go very quickly. Um, Everybody will meet the patient at the door. Um, The patient will go directly to CAT scan, get the images, and come back to a treatment room where we get blood work um, and EKG pharmacies there in case we need to give medication. And um, neurology will be present, too, to facilitate um, quick treatment of our stroke patients in the ED.
0: Sounds very efficient.
2: It's organized chaos. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, other closing thoughts before we uh, wrap things up.
2: Sure. Yeah. I I'm, I would like to you know make a make a plug for all the patients out there who are who are listening to this that. Um, We are well-trained in this, and we are used to seeing stroke patients. So uh, you do not need to make the decision of, is this a stroke or is this not a stroke? Uh, That's for us to to figure out. Um, uh, So I would encourage you to, if you have any doubt, if you're not really sure, if you know you're you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe maybe Grandpa's just didn't sleep well last night, and that's why his speech is funny. Um, those sorts of things you should absolutely come in to be evaluated. Um, and again, like we've been kind of harping on, time is of the essence. Uh, but also, we're trying to capture more and more patients so that we tr- first of all treat um, treat acutely, uh, and then uh, hopefully encourage people to also have have. Um, Uh, follow up and then uh, help with their outcomes right and the outcomes that we specifically talk about are getting you back to your normal life life after you've had a stroke uh, as best as we can so super important to again not make the decision yourself let us kind of do do the work Uh, that's what we have trained for so if if any doubts just come in and let us take care of the rest
0: what you just mentioned there about getting back to normal life yeah um That brought up a question in my own mind. The body, in particular the brain, are amazing things. Mm -hmm. And um, I've heard that stroke symptoms sometimes can be reversed Mm -hmm. um, if you're able to get to them quickly enough. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, yeah. So the the amazing thing about the interventions that we have nowadays, whether it's medication um, or surgical interventions uh, or neither, and it's sort of the the treatment of you know um, augmenting blood pressure and kind of what I touched on before is that. We don't have the same outlook on stroke as we did even 30 years ago, right? So when you heard of someone having a stroke um, way back when, you would think, oh, okay, well, this is kind of the end of of their life or they're going to be bed bound um, or they're not going to be able to speak. And that just simply isn't true these days. Uh, A lot of times you um, would never know that someone has had a stroke. Uh, So you can be kind of going about your your normal day. You can be back to work. Uh, That's not the case with everyone. But... Uh, that's why we we promote coming to the ED, uh, getting treated and getting treated with uh, uh, within the appropriate time frame, because you have a higher likelihood of recovering and again getting back uh, and moving on with your life after you've had a, a life threatening event like a stroke. Um, if you do all of those things, so uh, it is not impossible to have a stroke and then. Uh, get back again to your normal life uh, to your children to your work um, uh, but it just uh, is important to come in soon
0: great to hear yeah so doctors lisa scott and aaron fisher thank you both for all that you do uh, and for being part of today's conversation on the healthy podcast
1: thank you thank you
0: if you enjoyed this podcast have feedback for us or want to suggest future topics, please drop us a note at community at MelroseWakefield.org. The Healthy Podcast is co-produced by Melrose Wakefield Hospital and Wakefield Community Access Television. For more information, listings of community events and lectures, or to find a doctor, visit MelroseWakefield.org. All content heard on the Healthy Podcast was created for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your no physician or qualified provider with any questions regarding condition.